Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Easy Conversations podcast, a podcast about having easy conversations. I'm your host, Furkandadia. This week's episode, I'm honored to welcome back Dr. Romy Ran. Dr. Ran is a British clinical psychologist, coach, and speaker. She has over 15 years of experience working with individuals across the age span looking to transform their lives. Dr. Ran's specializations include food, eating, and body image, well-being and conscious living, cultivating work and life satisfaction, relationships, parenting, and family support, improving mental health, and Eastern meditative practices. She provides one-on-one sessions to clients from across the globe. In addition, she conducts workshops, webinars, and retreats to the world's largest businesses, hotels, and wellness venues across the UK, Europe, and the Americas. Dr. Rand received her doctorate in clinical psychology from the University of Oxford in the UK. Before that, she worked as a research coordinator in the Department of Psychology at Harvard University, where she was involved in several research studies on self-harm and suicide. Dr. Ran has also devoted much of her time and interest to practicing Tibetan Buddhism. Her continual studies and meditative discipline both inform and enhance her professional work. She is especially interested in sharing the often unknown overlap between Eastern and psychological traditions and recognizes the need for both to ensure transformational growth. In this episode, Romy and I discuss how fasting has become mainstream. Romy shares her experience with fasting and explains that individuals must do their due diligence when it comes to fasting and know their bodies. We also talk about how fasting is not for everyone, and in some cases, it can cause more harm than good. This is a topic both Romy and I thought was important to discuss. While I was practicing Ramadan at the time of recording this episode, and I also do intermittent fasting outside Ramadan, I have experienced improved focus and less sluggishness than before I started intermittent fasting. However, I also know people who have struggled with fasting. Therefore, I felt it was valuable to have this discussion and perhaps get a different perspective. I really hope you get a lot out of this episode and you can find Dr. Ran on Instagram at Dr. Romy Ran or her website at www.drromiran.com. And please leave a five-star review at the end of this episode. I would truly appreciate it. All right, Romy, welcome to the welcome back to the Easy Conversations podcast. Thank you for taking the time to come back on again and have another conversation with me. I'm really grateful. But uh, for listeners that probably didn't get to hear you the first time, do you mind doing a brief introduction and letting us know? who you are and what it is that you do. Sure, absolutely. And thank you for having me back. It's a pleasure and an honor as always to be here. Um, I'm Dr. Romy Ran. I'm a clinical psychologist, a coach and a speaker. Um, I work, well, I'm originally from the UK, uh, but I work with people all across the world. Um, And whilst I would say I work with the entire spectrum, everything from sort of clinical disorders um, all the way up to people just wanting to improve satisfaction in their life. Um, My clinical specialism is probably be described as food, eating and body image. Um, Mm -hmm. And even within that, there's a spectrum. So everything from the clinical eating disorders, just to people who want to 
understand um, their own relationship and perhaps improve their own relationship with food, eating and their body. So that's about 60% of my work, I would say. Great. Yeah. And, and we did talk about some of the challenges people can have in terms of their relationship with food the first time. That conversation, obviously, I felt like there's still more to discuss, hence why I asked you to come on again. And one of the areas that obviously is getting a lot of mainstream attention is this whole notion of fasting, um, mostly intermittent fasting. And then you hear occasionally about people doing extended periods, whether it's, it's over days or, or a day, for example. Um, and then right now, uh, as we speak, it's the month of Ramadan for Muslims who are practicing and that consists of fasting during the day. So many different types, but uh, I did want to explore with you based on the work you've done, um, how fasting can help or if there are other side effects that people may not be aware of, perhaps we can explore those as well today. Sure. Um, I think it's important to kind of highlight the perspective that this would be coming f f to me. Um, so the people that I would be seeing um, predominantly who are using um, systems like intermittent fasting or going on extended juice fasts or just dry fasts or whatever that might be. Um, this is a huge, huge, huge topic. Um, mm -hmm. And I think, you know, there's, again, there's a really positive way of looking at this, certainly from um, a religious, spiritual <clears throat> kind of transcendent perspective. Um, but I think a good place to start is seeing it almost from the reverse, which is often where I'm seeing it, mm -hmm. um, which ultimately, ultimately the difficulty is, is that there's this blur, right? That there's lots of um, modern day scientific evidence that's supporting benefits of fasting and giving our right. body a break. And what, we, what the evidence is showing is that it helps with a variety of different things from, you know, blood sugar control, diabetes control. Um, cell rejuvenation, um, uh, kind of inflammation, a whole variety of different things. Even um, mental health is seen to kind of improve. Um, and so that's really positive. And um, lots of people are kind of looking, coming at this from a health perspective. The difficulty is that, um, you know, when you don't have a secure relationship with food and how you eat, and especially with your body, there's a real blur here. And what I see happening, um, probably, unfortunately, more often, and it could just be the, you know, my bias from, mm -hmm. from my position and, and also what I'm looking at, but um, is that people are using these practices uh, with the sole purpose of trying to manipulate the way they look to try and fit into a construed idea of what they seem to be seen, is seen to be desirable, i.e. they're trying to lose weight or right. control their weight. Um, and whilst weight, weight maintenance or control or even weight loss has been associated with these, um, with these practices, uh, essentially, if you're going into it with that in mind, um, even if you get results, it's often not, uh, in the, it's not, it's not really coming from a place of health and well-being. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, I think starting from that perspective, which is um, that what is your motivation for wanting to do these things? 
right. is a really important question to ask yourself. And the question that I always ask clients and people that I work with is, well, if doing this, if you would actually end up putting on weight, but everything else would improve, your health would improve, your well-being would improve, you'd feel much better, but you're, you'd, you'd gain weight. Would you still do it? And that's kind of the question that I like to offer out to everyone. If you would still do it, then you kind of know you're coming from a place of love and well-being um, because you are look, you are doing it with the intention to be, be more healthy, to look after the vessel, your body, um, without attachment to necessarily just trying to look a particular way. Right, right. So based on that, what you're saying is often there could be the case that's almost taken as a, a shortcut, right? Like this is a hack that I can apply in my life to look a certain way as opposed to some of the health or even the mental health benefits that we're finding through research that, you know, maybe you do feel better in general, um, but you may not look great. That could be, yeah. It, well, it could be, and it's really, it's really a blur, and it's, uh, it, and and it's very difficult. And part of my job actually is to hold the mirror up to people and really get them to think about this because it's not as it's not as simple as it's not as black and white as it might seem on the surface. That you know, oh, either you're just doing this for health, or there's a kind of um, a disordered diet mentality kind of uh, approach that's that's taking over here. Um, what we know is that. Uh, the mind can be very cunning mm-hmm. and it can package things up um, to it to fit a certain construct or idea. So, um, you know, and I think just to take a step back specifically from fasting, but I think health, you know, healthy eating is sort of in many ways now is is the new diet. Like diets are out. They're not fashionable right. anymore for, for many people. They're not cool. There's all this evidence why they don't work. And so What's happened is that there seems to be this move towards this kind of strong, not skinny or, um, or a focus on healthy eating, right. uh, but that it, it's almost shifted into obsessional, controlled and disordered. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's difficult to know, well, am I doing this out of a place of genuine love and I'm wanting to look after my, my, my health and my well-being? Or is the am I am I, am I sort of convincing myself that that's why I'm I'm right. going into it? But there's actually um, a deeper kind of meaning here, which is that I'm 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 not happy with myself, and so I'm trying to use these to to change it. And I call it I label it as health and well being. Right, right. But do you think that often, like you know, I find this with myself, and not necessarily with fasting, but trying other things. Mm-hmm. You, you know, maybe the motivation to your point is not appropriate or or you're trying to take a shortcut but then when you start applying something you have these unintended positive consequences right so with fasting for example people may start feeling better and they're like oh this is great i didn't go for that that was not my motivation but now i feel great so i'm going to keep doing this or there's the additional aspect of improvement and focus that i've experienced i don't know if everyone else has a similar experience but that is also another positive benefit that you may not be aware of. So in that case, you feel like it, once people start recognizing those other positive benefits, then they can adopt that lifestyle and perhaps shift their motivation. And it's not about what they look like anymore. It's about all these other benefits they're starting to experience. Absolutely. And I think that's an incredibly important point. And I, I sort of have 
um, a couple of considerations with yeah. that. But I, I, I definitely think that that is the case, um, mm -hmm. that many people can go into it with one intention and then and then their life changes. And, and that's if that works for them, that's really positive. And yeah. essentially, you know, everything that I teach is is about this exploration and is about figuring out what works for you. Right. Um, so if you do go ahead and you try something, I encourage people to do that. You know, go ahead, see what works for you, but don't just do it because some you read a book or you right. or it or it's trendy or you heard it from someone else. Like, really go and test it out for yourself. So, you know, I to share a personal example, um, I've tried several times to do juice fasting, mm -hmm. um, and I feel awful when I do it um, every time. And and I actually don't even bother anymore. Sometimes, like you know, I I would I started on a longer one and then I went shorter and shorter, and it just doesn't seem to work for my body mm -hmm. now I could I could read hundreds of, of case examples of books I can you know go on blogs and see people that absolutely swear by doing juice fasts but for me and for my body it just doesn't work and so um you're right you're absolutely right if you try something out whatever your intention is and it works for you then that's wonderful and and of course the encouragement is to continue doing something that um is wholesome and, and kind of mm -hmm. lead you towards your values and where you want to you know how you want to cultivate your life right that being said um what sometimes happens is if the if the intention wasn't correct in the first place um you know what you see is if you haven't if you haven't necessarily healed um, some some food and eating and, and body right. difficulties, then what happens is you might try something like intermittent fasting, and at the beginning it might be it might be good, and you might see lots of benefits. But you're coming at it, let's say, from if you're coming at it from a place of dieting, mm -hmm. then what happens is that that restriction um, causes the food and the whole eating process to become more powerful. And right. so then what happens is you get just like in a regular diet, because you're not coming at it from this open hearted place of I really want to improve my health and well-being. But rather, it's like a, a, a place of, of lack of like a lack of self-worth. And so then you end up restricting as you're supposed to. But then the moment the food comes, it, it, all the habit patterns are there, all right. that old kind of just um, binge eating, eating as much as you can. You know, you have a bad day and then, you know, it's the, the fuck it syndrome where you right. eat a cookie outside of your period. And then it's like, well, I've ruined my whole day, so I'm going to finish the whole bag. And so it it, it can trigger that sort of um restriction binge cycle in people that have not um have not kind of explored or healed that relationship with food and eating to begin with right right and that's such an important point because and that's kind of where the clinical psychologist in you comes in right it's if the healing hasn't taken place then to your point the smallest thing can throw you off and then you can have a negative thought pattern or, or dialogue with yourself and then go off the rails right so it, okay, so that's where the intention comes back and it's important where it's coming from and have we healed perhaps the the body image side of it and, and being aware of it. Yeah, and just to, to give a really clear example of how this works, not just with things like fasting, but if you take something like, you know, obviously veganism is really trendy right, right now, you know, um, but because it's trendy, what you see is that, and again, people, there's lots of evidence or people suggesting that, uh, you can lose weight or it's really good for your health and all these other things. But if that's your only motivation, particularly not so much the good for your health, but if it's more about the, the, the external, you know, what, what, how, it, how you feel and essentially how you look, 
Um, what happens is people go on that bandwagon for a little bit, but there there is that loss of authenticity because you're mm-hmm. coming at it again from this place of I'm trying to change myself because I don't feel I'm good enough. If you come at it from a place where, you know, many, many people do, which is, let's say it's an ethical reason, like I really don't want to hurt animals mm-hmm. or it is health based, but it's really health of from a health perspective. Like I had a client who um, was diagnosed with cancer and just decided I just want I want to like rid myself of any toxins. And it really wasn't anything other than that. It wasn't about trying to be trendy or trying to look a certain way or anything else. It really was that very clear um, love-based intention. And, and as a result, what you see is that, that, that those are the people that really can continue on. They make this, they integrate this into their life because it's something that is really coming from within the heart of, of a place of like, I, I'm not doing this because I feel that there's something wrong with me. I'm actually doing it out of love, love for others, love for myself, that sort of thing. Right, right. And and going back to the comment you made about knowing your body, right? And that's important too, because I tried going vegetarian and and mostly because it was a trend at the time and it still is. And uh, I tried it a couple of times and it just wasn't working for me, like just and I had to stop because I was like, okay, my body's telling me that this isn't working. and I have to listen. And, you know, as much as I could have stuck with it and perhaps it may, I w- would have adjusted, but I just didn't feel great. And I think that's an important thing to also note, uh, as you also alluded in your example, you could try the fasting, but if your body's not responding, you have to listen, right? As much as everyone is saying, oh, this is great for you and look at all the benefits. Um, is that something that y- you see with clients or people that you work with as well? Absolutely. And it's, you know, it's, it, I, I definitely see people that just stick with things because they think that they should mm-hmm. um, and they're not listening to their body. And, you know, and sometimes even that, you know, um, their body, it's, it's like a mental health perspective thing. Sometimes it's just that they, or they, they get, bitchy or angry or they're not you know their hormones go out of whack there's a whole variety of um, potential it's so such a complex process that there's so many potential um, outcomes that can happen when you're not honoring your body and listening to it Um, and it's really it's difficult when you're when you're working with people especially if there are people who have very strong um, maybe it's even a moral uh, like ideology or something like that or a spiritual or religious, and it's just not working for them. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll never forget, many years ago, I was at a talk with an Ayurvedic specialist, and he was actually Australian. Um, and, you know, he, every, he was doing this question and answer session, and everyone was asking him all these questions. He's very, very, very knowledgeable. And someone made the comment about, um, about, about eating meat or, or whether I, you should be vegetarian. And obviously from traditionally Ayurvedic, you know, it's coming out of, of ancient India right. and predominantly, and that, that is, um, it's a vegetarian system. Right. And, you know, here this, um, this absolute specialist and master, and he was really very, very inspirational. He sort of said, well, you know, um, someone asked the question about eat, whether, about not eating meat or that sort of thing. And he said, you know, um, twice a week once a week I eat chicken and once a week I eat fish and there was almost like a gasp from the audience it was it was quite interesting everyone there was so much judgment and I was sort of champion in the background like you know yeah yeah thank you for saying that yeah um 
because it, it it really showed his his authenticity and he was saying a very similar thing he kind of said look you know I didn't grow up I my my um, ancestry my genetics they're not I grew up in Australia where we're eating you know animals all all the time and right. that's what my body was and that's how I grew up and that's what my body was used to and so I can still apply these principles and I can I can really um, hold hold their benefits and, and see and reap the all, all the benefits by continuing to integrate this into my life. But I also need to be clever about it and I need to listen to my body and have that feedback and not just kind of go all fundamental on this. Right. And I think that's what I see. Um, most is that people can get caught up in certain ideas. If you want to try something, that's great. And if it works for you 100% of the time, that's great. And if it only works for you 80% of the time, do it 80% of the time. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with that. This is all about really learning, having, cultivating that intimacy with your body and trusting it because your body knows what it needs and what it wants. Right. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And then the other piece I've personally, I've noticed with just restricted eating during a certain time period, I find that's allowed me to be more disciplined and mindful of what I'm putting into my body. And at the same time, I've realized I don't need as much, whereas before I'd just be snacking or, or eating at all odd times just because I f- felt hungry. But because I've been able to find this sweet spot for myself, it's it's really helped me. And, and I'm not eating as much and I feel better and I feel more focused. Um, I have more energy than I did before, which can be counterintuitive if you think about it. But there is that aspect of overconsumption and you and I touched on it briefly in the last episode we did, but that is something I think is an important issue that's coming to the forefront with fasting. People are starting to realize that they don't need to eat as much. And maybe it's once you realize that maybe you don't need to fast quote unquote, but it's just getting that awareness and and how do you get there? Right? Absolutely. Um, you know, and, f- and fasting really does help for that because it, it let it it kind of pushes people into a position where they um, firstly have an opportunity to explore how their body relates to hunger. Mm-hmm. So when I work with people, part of part of what we're doing is um, a hunger awareness scale. We also do a, this continuum. We do a fullness awareness scale as well. But the idea is so we're so disconnected from our bodies. We don't a lot of people don't even know what hunger feels like. Mm-hmm. And when you when you fast, when you take the, the food out of the equation, you can feel it building. You feel how hunger is not really a um, like an itch that needs to be scratched that that we we talk that's a craving like right now I'm sitting and I'm like oh I want the cookie that's a craving mm-hmm. but hunger if you're really um connected with it you see that it's 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 slow and it starts to build and it morphs and it changes and you start to learn how to find that sweet spot of when am I the right amount hungry and but not overly hungry and so there's a process of discovery there that I think is really important um I think that for some people, you know, fasting as a lifestyle choice on an ongoing basis really, really works for them. And I, clearly it sounds like for you, this is something that um, really resonates with you. It, it helps your body. It allows you to discover yourself and, and, what, and what your body wants and needs in a really, really beautiful way. And I've had plenty of clients mm-hmm. that have reported the same thing. Um, so if that's the case for you or for anyone else, then that's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, but that a different way of doing it is this more kind of intu- whether it's intuitive eating or just kind of learning this this sort of um, 
self-discovery where you're not really going by um, a rule-based, uh, this is what intermittent fit fasting looks like and you fast for these number of hours and you eat at this period of time. It's, it's, it's much more organic than that mm-hmm. where you just start to like get curious about what your hunger is telling you. And, you know, there's a little bit of trial and error here. Um, so it might be a little bit slower for some people than intermittent fasting, but it might be better for them personally because they're really coming at it from their own wisdom. Mm-hmm. And so and so they start to see like, you know, I, they report very similarly to, to as you do. Like one of the, the biggest things that people come back and say to me is I really don't need that much food. Right. Um, and the other thing that they say, which is surprising, and it's the opposite to what they've always been made to believe is that um, when you're allowed to eat whatever you want, because that's part of this, you really right. you give yourself full permission to eat whatever you want, but you're listening to your hunger you, that, you know, you're doing it when you're hungry. Um, what happens is you realize the body actually craves um, a lot of the time, not all the time, but a, but predominantly whole foods, simple foods, like like natural, healthy, nutritious. Your body knows what it wants. Um, and it's that disconnect. It's this overconsumption of having just everything bombarded at us all the time and not really asking ourselves what is it that we want to eat and are we even hungry and why are we eating and all of those sorts of questions that are just completely ignored that right. sort of leads to this mindless overconsumption and and then you see all the knock-on effects that you described which is a lack of focus and feeling not feeling healthy um you know impact on well-being health etc right right for sure and one of the things i did want to explore and i'll tie it back later but is something I did consciously was cut out refined sugars from my diet and and also limit the amount of carbs I was intaking. And obviously the first few days were rough. Um, but after that, I found that, you know, as you were saying, we may crave a cookie. I don't have those cravings, but I am way more mindful about um, just the hunger aspect as you were talking. And it's easier for me to feel full after eating just light and what I'm wondering here is, because obviously refined sugars can throw our hormones out of whack and, and also the, the amount of glucose. And, and I obviously see the connection to our mind as well from that perspective. What are your thoughts on that in, in terms of being aware of the stuff we're consuming too? Okay. This is the um, favorite question that keeps coming up. I'm smi- People can't see me, but I'm smiling yeah. now. Um, I, I'll start with a disclaimer that there's no way that I'm going to be able to do this justice in the amount right. of time that we have. Um, yeah. But I probably come from the more unpopular position on this. So I'm just going right. to, again, throw that yeah. out there, which is that I, I what I've seen, um, you know, over the period of, of, you know, a couple of decades of me working in this field is um, there are trends in what's the villain. Okay, Mm -hmm. and so, you know, we had uh, fat was once a villain, then it was carbs, then, you know, now it's sugar, etc. I'm not for one second denying the impact that sugar has on the body. Mm -hmm. And I definitely agree that there is too much um, just processed sugar in in all of in in foods in general, like you don't need I I see, you know, I'm looking for to buy a pizza for my kids and, you know, and I I, you don't need to have sugar in a pizza. It's completely unnecessary. So I think, you know, I'm in complete agreement that there is across the board an overconsumption of sugar and it's of, and, and particularly processed sugar and it's being shoved into things where it's completely unnecessary. 
However, I also see that there is this massive just, uh, you know, this villain that has been made out of sugar. And 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 conversely, you know, if you want to take it even further, things like uh, carbohydrates in general, white rice, that sort of stuff. Right. And I kind of want to just take a step back and just like just breathe for a minute Mm -hmm. you know when I when I hear these sorts of arguments because you know let's just take white rice for example which a lot of people say is a big no-no you know it's a it's a you know a simple carbohydrate converts to sugars etc etc very quickly spikes the sugar spikes your insulin levels etc the point is is that we're talking about you know a great proportion of the world's staple staple food here and in those cultures we're not seeing obesity like we are in the cultures where we're now trying to restrict them so i want to be really cautious and careful in demonizing any kind of food group Mm -hmm. with sugar particularly you know again i i sort of bring it back to the individual and and offer out this this personal exploration or invite people to do this personal exploration of when you say, because I have so many people with disordered eating come and they tell me they have a sugar addiction. And I'm like, well, what exactly does that mean? Mm-hmm. You know, let's really break it down. Like, is it all types of sugar or is it just certain types? Is it, um, you know, d- is it if you just have the smallest bit or if you end up overeating and binging on it? You know, could you put what happens if you mix, you know, um, honey in your tea whilst you're drinking, whilst you're also eating a, a, a a wholesome nutritious breakfast does it affect you the same way what about fruits versus white you know table sugar let's just get really clear about what we're talking about Mm -hmm. here Mm -hmm. because otherwise what happens is that we get into this really black and white thinking of i have to cut out this entire food group or this this food group i you know i can't have it um there's a fear and it all becomes very fear-based and then the food has holds power over you and again if it were true across the board then Anyone, if sugar was inherently bad, if it was inherently bad for us, then anyone who was eating sugar would have the same effect. Right. I personally can take a cookie, I can have one cookie, and then I can be done with it. Absolutely right. done with it. I don't have a problem with that. Um, I also, when I was uh, 15 years old, thought it was cool to smoke, and I would smoke cigarettes. And um, and then when I got to you know 18, and I realized it wasn't cool, I to you know and I used to smoke quite a lot again around my friends thinking it was cool and I would put the cig- I put the cigarette away and that was it I never touched it again right so I do you know obviously this is super complex because we're talking about person- personality types we're talking mm-hmm. about habit patterns that are formed um we're talking you know we're talking about our emotional relationship with certain foods and there is a massive feedback loop with all of these things so is it really that you are that one is addicted to sugar and or is it that there is this emotional attachment to sugar and then we overconsume it and then our you know it has all of the impacts on our bodies etc right so i th- i think um like i said i can't really do this justice because it's such a huge topic mm-hmm. um but i don't want to fall into a camp of all sugar is bad people should be right. cutting it out of their life i think if if it works for you personally and for many people it does and it's not coming from a place again it's for me i know i keep repeating this but it's not coming from a place of i can't eat that because i'm um i don't have enough willpower uh, there's something wrong with me i'll get fat i'll if it's coming from a place of like lack of self worth then that's the intention that's behind that decision mm-hmm. if it's coming from a place of you know what actually when i eat sugar it doesn't make me feel so good this is what i'm noticing happen happens to me um, I feel better without it. And I actually really love myself. So I don't want to feel crap. 
um, then that's beautiful. Then do right. that. There's nothing wrong with that. I, you know, mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not kind of sitting on one side or or another. But I think that we have to be really careful about demonizing food groups in general right. and and get, because ultimately what we what we're doing is we're giving it power when we do that and you don't you know you don't want pa- food to have power over you yeah yeah no i appreciate that and i think the biggest piece again it comes back to knowing yourself your personality and how certain things are affecting you i, I guess for me what i'm trying to understand is also the difference between as you refer to processed sugar and and natural right and you obviously need sugar in your diet, but it's it's to finding that right balance and knowing, okay, which one should I be consuming? And again, it, and, I guess it's complicated, right? Well, you you know, you could read a hundred studies, a hundred blogs, a hundred anecdotal, you know, anecdotal evidence, and everyone is saying something different. Mm-hmm. And that's where I think it becomes really tricky. So, you know, uh, stevia, for example, has become very popular, but then there are, there's a whole movement against, against that, you know? Yeah. And so I just, I think, um, I think it's important to recognize that there are trends and that, and that people's bodies respond differently to different things. And that, um, you know, even even from um, like a cultural perspective, what we what our bodies have been used to over over a period of time will be different for different groups of people, and so that's why I'm less interested in what anyone else has to say and has to tell me about what I should or shouldn't be eating. Mm-hmm. Um, what I'm interested in is discovering it for myself, true, like authentic, authentically. Mm. really through input, through putting the time and the effort in, because it is it is it's like any relationship. You know, your relationship with yourself, with your body, with food, with how you eat, it's like any other relationship. It's complex right. and it changes over time. You know, there are, again, going back to the example that right now I can eat a cookie and I can put it away and it doesn't do anything for me. I've worked with hundreds of women, partic- I'm, and not, I'm not saying women particularly, but they go through the menopause and mm. their entire bodies re- change to what, you know, react to food completely differently. Right. I've worked with people who have lived in, in countries, what's one country their whole life, they moved to a different country and they, their whole relationship to food has to be looked at and changed because the environment is different. If the weather is different, the climate, there's so many factors to, that come into play with this that um, I, the only um, advice or recommendation or invitation I can give is to explore it for yourself. Do the work. You know, mm-hmm. you've clearly done the work. You're exploring it and you're playing with things and you're seeing, well, how does this make me feel? And is this good for me? And it's wonderful that it works for you. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely mm-hmm. wonderful. And I don't, you know, I'm not, there's absolutely nothing wrong if you're following a particular program that you've tried and tested and all you're seeing is, is that it's, it's, it's improving your lifestyle right. and how you feel, then that's great. But that might not be the case for everyone else. So each person is, is responsible for their own health and well-being. Right, right. And that's, I, I guess that's the biggest message, right, is is taking that responsibility and, and, and we've covered that a few times is exploring and seeing what feels right and what doesn't and not listening to the noise around you, perhaps. And what happens when you do this with food? And this is probably my, um, the, where my interest lies in everything that I do here with food and eating is when you learn how to do this with food, and, and you learn how to listen to yourself and you learn how to not hear the noise from whether it's uh, other pe- people, society, culture, celebrities, whatever it might be. Yeah. 
um, you're opening a gateway for yourself because you're starting to trust yourself daily in this very raw and authentic way. And so then it bleeds into all other aspects of your life. You're, you start to learn like, actually, everyone is telling me, you know, this is who I need to be or how I need to present in the world, but that doesn't feel right for me. So why am I doing it? You know, you, you start to cultivate this trust that you're that you're you're OK. Actually, you're completely OK. You don't need to just follow along with what other people are saying, even if it even if it looks like it's working for them. Just come back to yourself and you're, you're learning it. you're practicing it with food and eating. Once you once you get some mastery over that, you see it just bleeds everywhere into your life. And it's very beautiful, actually. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and speaking of that, I guess the next thing I wanted to chat about was also the aspect of mental health and the mind when it comes to eating. And, you know, again, I'm, I'm just going to talk about my personal experience. I find like there is an aspect of focus, as I alluded to earlier, and overall just general well-being from a mental perspective that I feel with how I've or how I consume food. Now, why is, is that? And obviously we can talk about the biological side of it, and that's probably a lot more to cover than we have time, but how can our relationship with food affect our mind and our mental health? You know, food is the sustenance of life. Mm-hmm. You know, and you'll hear all these great spiritual masters talk about, you know, what you're, you're, cons- what you're consuming, it becomes you and, and, um, uh, and there's also, um, in the West, we don't really, we sort of differentiate between mind and body. And in right. other traditions, there's, it's not differentiated, it's mind, body, these two things are intimately involved and, and, um, working as one almost, or they certainly influence and impact one another. Um, because we have to eat every day, you know, it's, we, for most people, at least, (laughs) you know, you're eating or because food is such a a backbone to our, our survival and our life and in many cases, our enjoyment as well. Um, when you have difficulties with that, it's all consuming, absolutely all consuming. It's interesting because I've worked with um, I, one in particular. I've, I've had a few clients like this, but I had one client. She was in her 70s mm-hmm. and um, she actually I did a talk at a spiritual center and and she um, she heard me speak there and she ha- has been, you know, a very, very uh, dedicated, devoted sort of meditator and, you know, um, really devoted her her life to spiritual practice and I guess in many ways um, you know one could say she was quite achieved in that respect mm-hmm. um, but for her entire life her issue with food and eating has plagued her and her body it's completely plagued her and and what I saw was that this was just a complete barrier to not even just her her sort of own sort of spiritual journey but just her general well-being every single day she was faced with this challenge of what she should or shouldn't be eating, how she should or shouldn't be eating it, how her body felt, you know, what it looked like when she stood on the scale. When, when your whole world is just um, infused with that obsession, it's completely all-consuming and it's very, very difficult to break free from it, even when there are other really wonderful things going on in your life. Right. Um, and not to mention, you know, if you aren't nourishing yourself correctly from a food perspective, 
then again, like I said, it's, it's that gateway. Where else aren't you nourishing yourself in your life? Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, it's much more, um, I mean, it's, it's really gross and obvious, but it's also exceptionally subtle at the same time. You know, it, if you're putting in um, negativity, which means every time you eat, regardless of what you eat, there are thoughts of guilt or shame or I shouldn't be doing this or um, how I'm going to get fat from this or whatever it might be, um, that, then that clouds how you approach every other thing in your life as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, it's, 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 it's very, as you said, it's very complex and it really, they, they interact with each other. If you're not able to um, feel at ease and, and comfortable with your process of eating and the foods that you're choosing to eat and they're not nourishing you, it's not about what they are, whether they are nourishing you. You know, mm-hmm. lots of, like I said, lots of people do juice fast and they feel great and that's very nourishing. For me, that wasn't nourishing me. Right. And so then as a result, my mental health, how I felt during the day, you know, I felt, I felt awful. You right. know, I'm walking around physically feeling awful and then that represents how, I, how it manifests, you know, emotionally. Yeah, yeah, no, I appreciate that. And I think it also having that awareness can help, right? Like if you're binging, that could be a sign that maybe you're you're numbing or there's something that needs to be dealt with below the surface that you're perhaps um, just diverting your attention away from and using food as a mechanism to to numb or whatever it may be. So I think that's that's another aspect of it. And I think uh, from from the concept of the mind, though, I think there's again, when you're so overconsumed, like you mentioned, with what you're eating and when you're going to eat, all those thoughts that can obviously create a lack of focus, which I feel people often struggle with. And then perhaps fasting helps bridge that gap, right? And that's just one way, but it's probably not the only answer. Uh, You know, and it, it, in many ways, it just takes it out of the equation. So, you know, it does take it out of the equation. um, And for some people, that's good enough. Mm -hmm. Um, But what I found is that if you haven't healed it, it's like, you know, if I, let's say I'm binging, you know, I'll use the cookies again. I don't know. Let's say I'm binging on cookies. Um, I could literally remove the cookies. I could not have them in my house. And that's fine. And that might, and lots of people do that. And that might help, you know, 80% of the time. But then all that needs to happen is I'm at a friend's house and they rack out the cookies. And now cookies have to have so much power over, over me. And I decide to have one cookie because willpower can only often for, for many people can only take you so far. And so I have one cookie. And then again, I end up eating all the cookies and I feel shit and bad and guilty and shameful and disgusting and everything else. Mm. Um, so, you know, you can remove it. And I don't I don't want to again, I don't want to be make a blanket statement that, oh, you know, the, the fasting is just a band-aid because that's not true for some people. Mm-hmm. Just like, by the way, ag- again, you know, we say that diets um, are, have a 95% failure rate. That's true. But there mm-hmm. is a 5% success rate. Yeah. And so occasionally what you see, and often these are the people that are then writing books about their successes, and it really has worked for them. And often, again, it goes back to it's a certain personality type. So it might be, Fekhan, that for you elsewhere in your life, when you really dedicate yourself to something um, mm-hmm. and, and it's meaningful to you, you are you. it's not even a matter of willpower. It literally it becomes your way of being and it right. really works for you. And that's wonderful. But my experience is that for a, a huge proportion of people, it doesn't work that mm-hmm. way. 
So yes, they, they could try fasting and we could take that out of the equation. And yeah, then of course you're, you're, you're not giving yourself anymore the opportunity to, um, it's literally being removed, that decision-making process of what, when, how to eat. But but in, in often in those cases, um, what happens is those people then don't learn how to be okay around food. It's right, like right. you need all this control and these conditions in order to be okay. And right. so the moment you're outside of your comfort zone, and this is where we see lots of obsessional behaviors come where people don't want to go out, they don't want to socialize, they don't want to go to restaurants because they're, all their safety mechanisms have suddenly been taken away from them. Mm. So... Um, you know, in those cases, surely the, you know, the better option or the more, um, the more kind of comprehensive option is for them to learn how to really make peace with food so that food no longer holds that, that hold over them. And then it's like, yeah, I, I eat when I'm hungry. I stop when I'm full. I eat the foods that I want. I know how to eat in a way that is mindful and full of gratitude and, and even sacred in some cases. And when I'm when I'm eating, my focus is on that. And when I'm not hungry, I'm not thinking about food. And there's your focus back. And you don't, it's no longer an issue. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's not to say again, and it's not a one size fits all for anyone, you know, right. but I think what I've seen is that um, the more people gain their, their own, they reclaim that power, meaning that food can no longer be a source of, um, of, of concern or obsession or fear for them the more free they are and when when you have that freedom you know you then you can focus you work on your focus and you work as you you know you're able you've got all that time you're not obsessing right. over all the other stuff and you've got all that space to be able to live the life that you want to live for sure for sure yeah no i i definitely understand that and again it comes back to knowing yourself yeah and, and to your point as you've said a few times is not letting food have that power over you, yeah. uh, which can often then drive your behavior. So, um, Romy, I appreciate all that. And thank you again for, for sharing your own experiences and, and your insight in all of this. For listeners that do want to find you or uh, get a hold of you, how can they do that? Um, you could uh, get a hold of me on my email, which is just Romy at Dr. Romy Ran. Um, and uh, you can, yeah, feel free to email me. Um, my website is uh, .com. Um I have Instagram, same handle, Dr. <laughs> at Dr. Romy Ran. And um, as of, I think, let me just check the date, in about one month, if you're interested in anything about food, eating and body image and how to change that, uh, my book will be coming out. So um, I, you will, it's absolutely jam-packed with lots and lots and lots of practical exercises and things. You know, I spoke earlier about the hunger awareness scale, yep. all of that is in there. So if you just, if anyone is just interested in exploring their relationship with food and eating, um, you know, and, and wants it in a way that they can kind of just work through on their own, then the book will be the way to go. Perfect. Yeah. We'll put that in the show notes and congrats on the book coming out. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you for checking out this episode with Dr. Ran. As always, please subscribe to the podcast. If you haven't done so, that's the best way to support this podcast or leave a review or comments in the comment section. I always love hearing from you. Until next week.